0: We are back in Believe Limited. Here we are, a place that has been like a home away from home. I've been so grateful to spend the time um, recording the shows in here, but uh, we are now getting ourselves nice and established back at the, uh, the home office, if you will, the home studio, the home of waterproof records, where it all began. So... We're doing this as a, as a fun kind of a last hurrah here for now, and I'm going to be shifting over to the new space. Doing two shows a month, that is what I'm going to give to you, because it's time to waterproof it hardcore, right? Let's get waterproof, uh, I was trying to make a play on words of like liquor, like proof, proof 100, 100 proof. Um, welcome to Waterproof Records, I'm your fearless host. That's not true, I have a lot of fears. Um, we just didn't get, we get into only a few of them. So I am a somewhat fearful host, Jacob Gibbons. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in a silly mood, you guys. I'm in a very silly mood. Um, but let's get to the intro and we'll dig into the subject. Today, we are going to talk about Soundgarden Super Unknown. Let's go. Things are going to change. i feel stealing. It's you. just going be that kind of Waterproof Records. Waterproof Records with Jacob Gibbons. All right, before we dig into the show, let's take care of a few things up top. Since we are recording at Believe, we do want to say today's episode is recorded at Believe Limited in Silver Lake, California. Believe specializes in entertainment that affects change and is responsible for various forms of content, including feature films, documentaries, and podcasts, much like this one. You can check out their work at BelieveLTD.com. Believe Limited, we do special things. That is such a – what that paragraph is, it always inspired me when we did the show because I was like, wow, I love that I found a space to work in that was so uplifting and inspiring, which – is what I'm trying to do here. So I have cherished the time that I've spent here in this space, and I'm super grateful to Josh and Believe LTD for letting me have a chance to do the show here. Um, But today, I also need to give a big shout out to my sponsor, DistroKid. Yes, DistroKid. You heard me talk about it on last week's episode um, about Bjork. DistroKid is the official sponsor of Waterproof Records. And what DistroKid is, is it is an online digital music distribution service. So it's super easy to use. And I have a special VIP link that you guys should check out. It's basically distrokid.com backslash VIP backslash waterproof. That gets you 30% off for your first year of uh, loading music onto DistroKid. So you want to take advantage of that 30% off. That's a pretty big deal. I love what they do. They're giving the uh, the tools to artists and musicians to put their music out there everywhere. We're talking Spotify, uh, iTunes, you know, uh, tidal. Um, they even put it up on YouTube. You get YouTube Music. So it's just it puts your music everywhere and makes it super accessible and very very easy. They also do some really cool tech in there as well, like things like splits. So if you had multiple artists on your um, on your music. You can have it split to where all the revenue is like split evenly or however you wanna do it amongst you and the other artists. So they have a lot of really great services and I just highly recommend you check them out for sure. So distrokid.com, go check it out. Don't forget to use that 30% off link. But without further ado, you've been waiting so patiently for us to get into Soundgarden Super Unknown. And you're, if you're a diehard Soundgarden fan, um, and there are many of you out in this world, you might be thinking to yourself, why go in on their fourth studio album? Uh, why start there? Um, again, a lot of times I choose the albums. I think that are the moment that something clicks for me. And before you go, wait, it didn't click for you on bad motor Finger? Um, it did. It did. Oh, it clicked. But I, I had some interesting experiences that we're going to get into as to why it wasn't until super unknown that, um, the door was opened, and we all know Chris Cornell, what a gifted, talented songwriter and vocalist, and he has left this world far too soon. And it's hard to believe this many years have passed that he's been gone. Um, he was a one of a kind rock star, you know, it's, it's crazy because, um, I was thinking about on the drive over. I was like, here's another person that um, took his own life. And that's all the information that we know. Of course, I'm not going to get into the conspiracies. There's all sorts of opinions and ideas about, you know, what would have influenced him or if other people were involved, you know, people get, get into that kind of stuff. But I, I'm going to just point out a lot of our heroes from the nineties are gone. And it's kind of crazy. When you talk about these big albums, you go, Chris Cornell, Lane Staley, Shannon Hoon, Kurt Cobain, Scott Weiland, just so many of them are gone. And uh, Chris Cornell had made it um, so much further than a lot of the others did. And it was, uh, it was very tragic to lose him. But we don't want to spend too much time on, uh, on that because we're really focusing on the year 1994, March 8th to be exact, Um, March 8th, 1994 is when Super Unknown comes out. And this one turned them from being just a a kind of a metal hard rock underground Seattle band into just a mainstream success. I think it went platinum like five times. I think it sold uh, bajillion albums and music videos. And if you walked up to a person and you said the name you know, Soundgarden and they had a blank look on their face for a second. All you would have to say are the words black hole sun. And they'll go, Oh, Oh yeah, 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 of course. And that's off this album, black hole sun. Um, I can listen to black hole sun again because uh, here's the thing. They overplayed the song so much in the nineties. And then I got to even say, if you turned on like K rock, our local LA radio station, they were still cranking the black hole sun, for the longest time. And it was, it was one of the songs that they really did start to ruin it for me personally. And I'm sure for a lot of others, because it was just in our ear and in our face all the time. Um, but I think I've spent enough time now and enough years have passed on. And now with Chris gone, um, I do enjoy black hole sun and it's a good video to reflect upon, but let's get into that in a second. Um, super unknown is the fourth album. This band had existed 10 years, for 10 years before this album comes out. You know what I mean? Like, the 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 explosion of Nirvana and Pearl Jam, these are newer bands. Uh, Nirvana was newer, and uh, Pearl Jam was just a, you know, as I talked about on the 10 episode, just a, an iteration of different members from other bands coming together and finally finding Eddie, and it was just this perfect combination. But Soundgarden was formed, I think, in 1984. And originally, it was um, it was Matt Cameron, Kim Thale, and Chris Cornell. And then they eventually got Ben Shepard on, on bass, I think, two years in. And they were a band. And they released two albums before this, Ultra Mega, OK, and Louder Than Love. And those, for somebody like me who grew up in, in Tulsa, um, those didn't make it to me. Are you kidding me? If you were growing up in Seattle, maybe, and you were getting that sub-pop zine in your window, you might, might know about them. You might be going to go see Soundgarden down at some club. But for a guy living in the middle of the country, I hadn't heard of Soundgarden. Um, the first time I remember hearing about Soundgarden, I was watching Headbangers Ball. And I think the first video that came across, it was either Rusty Cage or Jesus Christ pose off of Bad Motorfinger. And this is what what I want to get into a little bit before we get into super unknown. Soundgarden and Bad Motorfinger was like forbidden fruit for me. You know what I mean? Like I wanted it, but I was scared of it. And I'll explain. Jesus Christ pose is a fucking awesome riff-driven heavy song that when I first heard it, I I I was like, I love this. And then I was hearing the lyrics and my poor little Christian boy brain was just weeping and feeling so much guilt for what he was screaming, what Chris Cornell was wailing. He was going, stand in there in your Jesus Christ pose. Um, and I was like, oh man, I know it's a song about hypocrisy and you know, it really illustrates a good point, but my young mind was going, oh no, I'm going to get in so much trouble for this. And, uh, so I didn't go out and get bad Motorfinger, which is a great album name, by the way, bad Motorfinger. Um, but I, uh, I wanted to have that album, but I was scared of Jesus Christ pose. And then I heard rusty cage. And again, these songs, this is like, you know, in the early 90s and this is uh you know grunge is coming out but these bands didn't think of themselves as grunge because grunge was just like this movement that was being dreamed up by ways to market things they were just hard rock metal bands you know what i mean they were just heavy seattle based uh groups and and they were thrust in the grunge category but when you hear songs like jesus christ pose it fit Headbangers Ball to a T. It felt like a metal, a heavy metal band with this guy who could wail these high notes, you know, kind of like old school Pantera with these super high range notes. Um, that was the most identifiable thing about Chris Cornell in the vocals. You've got these other, you know, alternative grunge bands coming out with these grrr, grrr, and these lower baritones. And here comes this dude just squealing so high. And the other songs on Bad Motorfinger, again, um, I saw the Outshined video. And the Outshined video is a shirtless Chris Cornell um, looking fine. I'm telling you right now, young Jacob was just going, he's beautiful. I mean, he we had this long, dark, curly hair. He was ripped, just muscle bound. And he's like, they're in this industrial factory, like, metal smithing and he's like on his knees like you know and he was like one of those things i had this sense of like wow he's a very beautiful man and then i remember the time this girl i really liked she was like madly in love and her standard of like what was gorgeous was chris cornell in in the outshine video and i remember looking at myself in the mirror and then like seeing that video and be like i'm never gonna be that what? So there was a little anger stirred up in my adolescent self, like, I'm never going to look like that guy. You know, he's beautiful, too beautiful. Um, and I, and from that moment that I saw him in the Al video, I remember the first thing I thought too, was I never once put together how tall Chris Cornell was. Uh, he was pretty tall. I mean, I'm not saying he was a giant, but you see a guy that ripped, long hair, you know, in a band. I never put together that he was rocking like 6'3". Dude was like six foot three, and that's pretty big. And you look at the long hair, the muscle body, he was like a he was like a vampire, dude. If there had been like a blade movie, they could have put Chris Cornell just like walking around with his his beautiful, you know, white skin and his long dark hair and just give him some fangs, and I would have been like, that's the hottest vampire I've ever seen. <laughs> you can you can tell that I I had confusing feelings for Chris Cornell as a young boy, um, but I, uh, I, that that was what made Bad Motorfinger kind of feel out of reach, felt a little forbidden. Um, so I I wanted the album, but I didn't want the album, and I wanted it, but I didn't want it. But by the time we get to 1994, I'm a little bit older, and you know, Super unknown just totally exposes the world to this band, and I think it's before. Um, black hole sun success. I feel like the first single, and I did not fact check this, but I remember spoon man being the first song that was really getting a ton of airplay to promote this in 1994 spoon man, which is a great song, good riff. And I actually covered this a little bit on my episode. I did early on in the podcast about the single soundtrack. Um, the, the, the title of spoon man initially had nothing to do with the fact that they had that artist the spoon man the guy who's playing the spoons that street performer from seattle he's playing in the in the in the song and he's featured in the video and the fact they had him in the song the song title and the whole lyrics and everything like predate that predate that and it's long before chris cornell knows who artist the spoon man is he just has These this funny reference point, which is they're making the movie singles and Jeff Ament is making like fake a fake cassette tape for um, the Matt Dillon character in the movie. He's making this fake uh, cassette tape. And so he's just making up song titles. And one of them Spoonman and there's a couple others on there um, that Chris Cornell also recorded. But Spoonman was one on there. So it was just a name. And so then Chris Cornell sees the name Spoonman and writes a song using that title. And then it turns out once it's time to put it onto the, the album and put it out there, that's where the worlds collide. And there just so happens to be a street performer who performs with Spoon, who's known as the Spoon Man. And it, it all comes together. And I actually found in all of my reading up on Super Unknown and, and discovering things, Chris Cornell often found a title or a phrase or a word first and then wrote the song. So he was one of these artists, or at least during this period of his life, that a a word sounded cool or a turn of phrase sounded cool. And then he would be inspired by the word itself. And I, in my own life, have done that from time to time where I've just liked the sound of something. And I just kind of work my way in. Um, When I was writing screenplays a lot more back in the day, I used to just dream up like film titles and then I would try to create the story of the film based on the, the film title, which is probably not a good idea. It's better to probably come up with your, your strong story or screenplay idea and then give it a great title. But I would think of these movie name titles, the one that comes off the top of my head. I'm going to give it to you right now because I don't think I'll ever write it. But it was uh, Say Uncle. And it was basically, you know, when we were kids, if somebody twisted their your arm behind their back and you'd go, Say Uncle, Say Uncle, in order to be released... And so I was dreaming up this like Guy Ritchie heist film, and I, I called it Say Uncle, but I I started with a title that I worked my way around. Anyway, just thought that was pretty funny. But I'm going to bring up the track list so we can kind of talk about it. Uh, if you follow me on TikTok, and most of you do, I made a TikTok that got a lot of attention about the tunings of the guitars on Soundgarden. And this band was notorious for this, for really unusual tunings deep low you know really strange and the the most hilarious thing about super unknown start to finish every single song on this album is a different tuning everyone there's not there's there's literally never a time that it repeats i mean there's there's different songs i think that might have similar tunings But you would have to retune your guitar. If you said, hey, we're going to go out on the road and we're going to play Super Unknown, start to finish, you'd have to bring however many guitars. There's 15 songs in this album. You'd have to have like 15 guitars tuned, ready to go (laughs) to play through, you know, because if you're playing live, you don't usually spend a lot of time tuning on the stage. You usually try to have things ready to go. I mean, if you got roadies, sure, they could have like a couple guitars and they're tuning in between the songs, but still it's amazing because this album is huge. It's an hour, 10 minutes. There's 15 songs on it. It's massive. And um, it, uh, it it's, it's yeah, every song, low tuning, high tuning, strange tuning, you know, it opens up, I think, uh, uh, my wave. I swear, it's like E-E-E-E-B-B. And you're like, what? Who comes up with this? Somebody once told me it was because Chris Cornell had kind of taught himself the guitar unconventionally. And so oftentimes his guitar wouldn't be in the proper tuning or he would just tune the, the guitar how he wanted, to, he wanted it to sound for a certain riff or idea that he was working on. Um, I don't know if that's true. I didn't fact check it, but that is something that somebody said to me once is that he just didn't have a good like he wasn't trained um, as a guitar player. It was something more instinctual. Um, a lot of times some of the best musicians are like that, right? They don't, they don't play from like, I learned and spent 20 years studying every note and how to read music. They just follow their gut. And he seems like the kind of person who definitely did that. Um, but there's a lot of, you know, heaviness on this album. It still has the dark, you know, um, grungy metal sound, but it gets mainstream It gets a little bit more mainstream. So the songs on here like Spoonman and then Black Hole Sun is one of those ones that you go, you can't think of this time period and not think about Black Hole Sun. And I forgot to to check out who directed the video because if you think about right now the music video, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. It was very famous. Let's see. Does it say who the director is? I feel like it won an award, but it doesn't. I don't think it says the the director on here. Um, I'm not going to waste too much time on that. We'll, we'll, I'll share it later. But the, the video was these picturesque neighborhood families, children, you know, things like that going about their daily life. And this was really early in the days of people manipulating visuals through computer graphics. You know, during this time, computer graphics were leaking their way in a film and television and they were perfecting and, and and playing around with a few things and not hundred percent sure where it would go all the time. And it was like, it was like one of those things that you just didn't know necessarily what you could do. And so what they do in the video is they manipulate everybody's faces to contort as the song goes on. And it was like very subtle at first and then it like increases as the video goes and i remember being a kid and just sitting there and being horrified being scared out of my mind at the the look and the, the, the features of children and moms and dads, like, looking at the camera and their smile would contort and be, like, so maniacal and just huge. Eyes growing larger, mouths expanding. People are, like, licking ice cream and carrying black balloons. And, you know, it was just, it just was so unsettling. And then it all ends into this whole, the, the, there's a storm and, you know, the, the sky is, like, opening up. And it was this really disturbing video. By the way, I didn't want to leave you guys hanging. The director was Howard Greenhall. Um, so he was somebody that that's not a name that really popped into my head. I kept thinking to myself, if it's Spike Jones, or, you know, v- Valerie Ferris and Jonathan Dayton or... Cunningham or, or one of, or, or Michelle Gondry and I'm blowing it right now. I'd feel like I'm doing you a disservice But there's a reason why, you know, Howard Greenhall I'm not saying he's not an amazing incredible director and probably went on to do a million other things But he wasn't in that that group of those music ver- video directors you saw over and over again yet the black hole Sun video lives on in infamy and uh, We always think of those creepy faces So that is a moment that I I definitely remember in time is when that video dropped and it became just so massive that song. Uh, if you read up on it, it is not again, another example of Chris Cornell heard, um, he heard, he heard something wrong on the news. He heard a news anchor say what he thought was black hole sun. And apparently that's not what the news anchor said at all. That phrase was never uttered, but he heard the the expression and he thought it was like a really cool visual. So he wrote all the lyrics to that song as like kind of a word painting, you know, just kind of painting these images. And um, and so it's a really surrealist thing. And when they finished that song, they did not know it was going to blow up. They knew it would possibly be a good single. But I don't think they knew that Black Hole Sun would go on to become the monster, the behemoth that it became. And it's funny because when you listen to it, you kind of go, it is a little bit surprising that it got so big. It starts out so slow. It's got that really eerie flanger guitar kind of playing like that. And then it kicks in. It's slow. It's really slow tempo. And then it builds this point where um, Cornell is just wailing Black Hole Sun in the background but it caught fire, you know, it caught a hold of, of, of the world and the culture and the zeitgeist of everything and, and spread. And now we think of it always when we think about um, Soundgarden. Um, I talked a little bit about Cornell's voice and during the recording of Super Unknown, his voice, he had such an incredible range that they had to, if he was singing higher notes, he had the tendency to be louder and just it was a lot more intense of an audio sound wave. So they would switch out the mics to make sure to handle those, those parts right there. And then he would switch to others for other sections of the song. And he destroyed tons of microphones while they were putting this album together. Because he kept just his, his vocal range was like blowing out these microphones. And I think in the studio, which was I think called Bad Animal Studio in Seattle, it was co-owned by the, the, the gals from Heart. And during like the mid nineties they owned this studio and Nirvana had recorded there, Allison Chains had recorded there, Neil Young had recorded there, and um and they recorded there and he was uh, yeah, Chris Cornell's voice was just thrashing these microphones um but back to the back to the album itself the cover is it grabs you because it's, it's something that we did a lot in the 90s we like i was ma- yeah i love that i just said we yeah, you know when i was making all those uh, award-winning multi-platinum albums in the 90s no i was going to say one of the things that they made a lot of in the 90s were these distorted album covers like blurry pictures photos that were poorly rendered or like You know, the photographer had done something to the actual image and manipulated it. You know, this is so much before filters and things that we do on social media where you plug in something to look faded or like it had been run over by a car or, you know, had been overexposed or underexposed. And this is an example of just a photographer taking an image and distorting it a little bit. It was just a picture of the band. And I think it was called. The Laughing Elf. I think that was the name of the photo because of the way that Chris Cornell's face is kind of like this. Um, I think that was the name of the picture. I'm forgetting the name of the photographer, um, but that's neither here nor there. I'm, I'm sorry, sir. You did a wonderful job on your photo. I don't want to get caught up in all the details all the time. A um, couple other things. I talked about Spoon Man already, Black Hole Sun. One of my favorite songs on this album is Head Down. Head down really, really blew me away when I first heard it. Again, it goes back to those tunings, those low notes. Um, I know the feeling so well of sitting there in my room, lights low, you know, a candle maybe lit, and I'm just moping, moping about something, whether it was a, a, a relationship that was going, some wasn't going anywhere. Or some drama that happened at school, or something, you know, an argument I got in with my brother, or whatever. Just moping, being maudlin in my in my room, and this would be a good album for that. It had a heaviness to it. These riffs were so deep and um, really drill right through you. Kim Thales, guitar playing style, um, very very memorable. I remember watching these guys playing music videos and. They're playing with their instruments really low and the straps and hanging down. And um, this is also the era that Chris Cornell cut his beautiful hair off. He had that long hair, and then on this album going forward, it's usually pretty short. Um, man, I really have fixated on Chris Cornell's looks. Rest in peace, sir. You were a you were a beautiful man. Um, so many other great songs on here, fresh tendrils, uh, like suicide, by the way, like suicide was about, it's not a song about suicide. It's not a suicide letter. It was literally, um, a bird. He was writing music and a bird had crashed into the window and broken its neck and he went outside and he saw this bird was suffering and he decided uh, he would, you know, put the bird out of its misery and squash it with a brick. And so he did that. And that's what that moment kind of stayed with him. And that's what inspired like suicide. 4th um, of July is another track where you can reference it to people. And that's an example of my God, I don't know what his low string is down to. I think it's like a, it's like a B or something like that, but it is just slugging. You like when you hear 4th of July, you have expected the band went out and got like a like a chain length fence and decided to string their guitar with like a chain link fence or something, or just a, a string that's like larger than a bass string, just huge. <laughs> um, this album has this energy, right? because I, I don't think this isn't a hopeful time for music. You know, I mean, like the music is great. But the musicians are all talking about death and feeling alone and feeling isolated and dealing with, you know, suicidal thoughts and feelings and despair. And it was a really interesting time to be listening to this, these heavy riff grinding notes and be feeling the sense of aloneness. And I talked about that a little bit on another album um, in here. I think I talked about, I think that was on, I can't remember which album. There were so many in the nineties that made, made us feel that way. But this one in particular really would put you in a headspace that you you kind of felt uh, kind of felt like you needed to be left alone for a while. Um, the album name itself, super unknown. This is another hilarious example. The more I dug into it, it was actually just a misunderstood uh, word that Cornell saw. There was a TV show with a, a clown in Seattle called like uh, JP Patches, I think. It's a TV show and they made like a movie or a documentary about this tv character and it was called Super Clown S U P E R and they spelled clown with a k and that was the name of this this tape that they talked about this character from the the late 70s and i guess one morning chris cornell's a little hungover he looks down at the uh, at the at the video, you know at the cassette or, or you know whatever he was looking at and he thought it said super unknown um, at least that's the story i read i don't know if that's 100 percent true but that's what i read um i feel like i'm jumping all over the place on this album i'm not being very um, focused you gotta bear with me i just literally went to go see the smashing pumpkins last night in anaheim and i was out really really late you can hear it in my voice you can hear it in my my energy i'm doing well Um, I was thrilled to be there at that show. It's incredible. I'm actually going to be going to the Hollywood bowl on Saturday again. So I'm thrilled about that. It was a beautiful, incredible night. Um, but I, it's amazing because here I am at the end of the day and I'm finding, I'm like, man, my, my head is not screwed (laughs) right on because I really wanted to link the album. One thing I don't want to lose is when I talk about albums, I, when I've been listening back to the shows, I've been noticing that sometimes I get a little bit too caught up in the facts. You know what I mean? I get a little bit too much in like, I've got to tell you when this album was recorded, where it was recorded, who produced it, um, you know, all those facts and details. And then as I'm going through each song, I'm trying to remember these little anecdotes and stories. And I was like, the one thing I don't want to lose hold of is feelings. You know, so much of what drives my TikTok um channel and the content that i make is the emotion it's the emotion behind it all just the 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 feeling that you oftentimes can't put into words you know when i did my first tiktok on soundgarden on rusty cage i just talked about how the riff felt like it pulled us like like taffy like distorted taffy and then there's that bending feeling to soundgarden's music just bending like woo, like pulling you and that is something that I don't want to lose track of on a podcast. I want to remember to say, hey, this is what it felt like. Because you can go read Wikipedia. You can go read um, a book about Chris Cornell's legacy and what a legacy it was and what a band Soundgarden was. I'm, I'm heartbroken that I never got a chance to see them play live. Um, that's a real bummer to me. I didn't even, man, I don't even think I got a chance to see. No, I did get to see audio slave. I feel like they were on a festival in the early two thousands. And I think I got a chance to see audio slave and a group of other bands on one of those, one of those shows that where there's like 10 bands playing, but I never got a chance to see Soundgarden live and see that, that skill, that vocalist, these guys pull me like distorted taffy you know, feel that bend in my bones, feel those low notes resonate. Um, That is what I recall about Soundgarden, that feeling and Black Hole Sun giving you this sort of like eeriness, spookiness, heaviness. Um, That's what stays with me. And Chris Cornell's beautiful appearance and his voice that went so high. You know, you would always, always hear stories about how he had vocal nodes and things happening to his throat because you would hear him do things. And you'd be like, "That can't be good for you in the long run." You are, you are screaming these high notes, and it doesn't sound like it's, it's. uh I mean, it sounded easy, but it sounded like it hurt a little bit. It sounded like he was always everything he sang sounded like he was in a little bit of pain. You know what I mean? Like there's a little bit of ouch in every note, and. You know, that's why when you lead to the end of his life, you go there. That pain had to have come from somewhere, whatever you think about how he left this earth or why. But that stays with you. That stays with you. He was somebody that I think that after they die, you look back on and you go, it makes sense in some regard when you read the words. But then, of course, I I said I wouldn't get into the conspiracies because there's a lot of people who come out and they say, no, 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 no. He was, he had a good relationship with his wife and he was in a positive mindset and there's just no way. So there's, of course, that's why people have the theories as to why somebody leaves, um, leaves this world. All I know is that we miss him. We wish we could have more music from him, but God, he left us a lot. He left his sound garden. He left us audio slave and he left us solo music. Solo music is, is fantastic as well. He was an incredible songwriter. Um, some of the biggest songs on here, you know, fell on Black Days. That was another huge hit. Um, I think he said that it felt like a, it felt like a, you know, another turn of phrase that he turned into a song. That tab- happens time and time again on this record. Um, I mentioned Head Down earlier. If I make somebody a Soundgarden, uh, you know, if I add Soundgarden on a mixtape, Head Down is going on there for sure. But when it comes to favorite albums of all time, Bad Motorfinger might actually beat this one. But I just think that this one is worth calling out in terms of where everything changes for Soundgarden. And they would split up, you know? They would split up, and that's when Rage would split up, and then Audio Slave would be formed. But it, Soundgarden only had a few more years left in the 90s that they were playing together. Um, and, of course, they would reunite years later. But this is the, this is the record. This is the album that I think everybody... It no longer became a cool underground band that nobody had heard of with your cassette tapes of louder than love and ultra mega. Okay. Which I got later, you know, once I got super unknown, I got Battered motor finger and I got the other twos and they're, 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 are really good songs on there like flower and gun. And those are really great songs. Um, but this album, if you put it on, there's not a bad track. It's not a bad track. I feel like every single one on this one start to finish is, is fantastic. Um, but that's pretty much it. You guys, I, I did again, I didn't want to come in here going fact, 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 uh, data, data, data. I wanted to get, get back into why I st- started doing this podcast. And that's reminding us why albums became so important to us, um, why they stood out and why, when you go back to them now, they, they really bring up a, a specific time in your life. So I encourage you, if you've never spent any time with super unknown, um, it's not all it, it, with your lights off. It's not all dark. A lot of it's really heavy and rocking and upbeat. Um, but it it does feel like, for me, an album that I would like to play in my bedroom alone to work through some angsty teen feelings. That's for sure. <laughs> Which so many of these were like that, right? Um, but again, I recommend you check out tons of Soundgarden's work. They're a phenomenal band. And uh, I'm grateful that I grew up in a time that boundaries were being pushed vocally and instrumentally and um, you know if you go listen to the song limo wreck off this album I don't even know what they're doing on that out that song in terms of melody and rhythms and time changes it's just all over the place it's very complex um, quite admirable you know you listen to the details and the things that are going on with the drums the bass and how they're guiding this and going into minor keys and shifting and changing things up it's pretty impressive pretty impressive body of work so that's it. That's Super Unknown by Soundgarden, another iconic, huge, huge record. Um, and, and uh, you know, maybe one day I'll do a show dedicated to Bad Motor Finger because, I mean, you heard some of my reactions and opinions on that. But um, but this one was the one that uh, that if you were around in 94, you certainly remember the time you saw people's faces go weird on the Black Hole Sun video. Super creepy, but always memorable. And if you grabbed a pair of spoons, you'd slap them against your knee and go, Spoon Man, come together with the hands. Um, that is Waterproof Records. I want to thank uh, Believe LTD for letting me record all these months in this cool space. There's going to be more and more of these shows coming your way. I've got some guests on deck soon. I'm just working out schedules, obviously, as we head into the holiday season it gets tricky people start to travel and everybody's got things on their plate but i got some great records coming up i'm going to be trying some new things in the show playing around with different formats and ways of sharing stuff because obviously i make tiktoks sometimes i make little videos about albums That you go, you know, I don't know if I could sit down and talk about uh, this entire album for an entire podcast because it was much more of a short window in my life or I liked a a song or two off of it. So I may start experimenting with like these are the top five probably, uh, you know, albums you never heard of from that era or I might start toying around with some of the more nuanced Things that happen. If you're interested in hearing me cover certain things, now I know fans of the show have begged me. I have a a fan of the show who's begged me for Sonic Youth. I promise you, Sonic Youth is coming. Um, There's going to be a lot more female artists. You know, I've done Tori Amos, I've done Bjork, but there's more incredible female artists coming down the pipeline. And um, I'm, of course, going to have to slip into metal. And I'm going to slip into modern music as well, because if this show keeps going and I'm giving you guys more regular shows, I'm not always going to just be able to focus on a 10-year window. I'm going to want to take you to other places, stuff that comes before that, stuff that comes after, going to metal, maybe going to classical, maybe going to, you know, I don't know. The The sky's the limit, right? It's called Waterproof Records. I didn't say Waterproof 90s. I the The tagline of the show is unsinkable tunes from the past, present, and future. Unsinkable tunes. So please tell everybody about Waterproof Records. Share it with your friends. Um, I've seen so many kind, sweet comments on iTunes. You guys say the nicest things. It just warms my heart. So if you'd like to leave a comment, like to leave a review, please do. Even if you don't like the show, that's okay. Um, But tell everybody I can't keep making this show without your help. Once again, make sure to check out my sponsor, distrokid.com. If you're a musician or you've been thinking about being a musician or you want to try something, you could put your music everywhere. It could be heard by everybody. You could build it up and you could be the next um, Soundgarden, for all you know. So thanks again for joining me on this week's Waterproof Records. Thank you to Josh, my amazing producer in there. I couldn't have done this without you. And now we're the best of friends, and that makes me even happier. So until next time, thanks, guys. You're gonna change. I can feel If It's just gonna be that kind of fight.